It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, as a hardcore uh, enthusiast of the Blackwater or Botanical-style aquarium, you're probably more than well attuned to the nuances involved in managing a system filled with, you know, decomposing leaves, seed pods, wood, etc. We've talked about this a million times, right? And you're keenly aware of many of the physiological and ecological benefits that have been attributed to the use of these materials in the aquarium. However, I'm willing to bet that most of us haven't really considered the nutritional aspects of both botanicals and the life forms that they foster as an important part of the functional aesthetic dynamic that we've touched on so many times before. Now, let's consider some of the types of food sources that our fishes might utilize in the wild habitats that we try to replicate in our own aquariums and perhaps developing a greater appreciation for them when they appear in our tanks. Perhaps we'll even attempt to foster and utilize them to our fish's benefits in unique ways. One of the most important re, uh, food resources in aquatic systems are what is known as macrophytes, which are just aquatic plants that grow in and around the water, emerge, submerge, floating, etc. Not only do macrophytes contribute to the physical structure and spatial organization of the water bodies that they inhabit, they're primary contributors to the overall biological stability of the habitat, conditioning the physical parameters of the water. Of course, anyone who keeps a planted tank could attest to that, right? Now, one of the most interesting things about macrophytes is that although there are a lot of fishes which feed directly upon them, the plants themselves are perhaps more valuable as a microhabitat for algae, zooplankton, and other organisms which fishes feed on. Small aquatic crustaceans seek out the shelter of plants for both the food and resources they provide, you know, zooplankton, diatoms, etc., and for the protection from predators, yeah, the fishes. So, Plants in the aquarium have been valued by aquarists, you know, since the beginning for all sorts of benefits. That's not really groundbreaking, I get you. I personally know and think that one of the more interesting functions of plants in the aquarium is to serve as a sort of a feeding ground for fishes in all stages of their existence. Oh yeah, and they, and they look cool too, but I'm not that interested in plants, at least not from the aesthetic standpoint. Now, perhaps most interesting to us, the blackwater botanical kind of people, are what are called epiphytes. And these are organisms which grow on the surfaces of plants or other you know, substrates, and they derive their nutrients from the surrounding environment. They're important in the nutrient cycling and uptake in both nature and the aquarium, and they add to the biodiversity, and they serve as an important food source for many species of fishes. In the case of uh, the aquatic habitats like we like, like streams, ponds, inundated forests, etc., epiphytes are abundant because when things fall into the water, things are colonized, right? So many fishes will spend a large amount of time foraging on the bio cover, which we've talked about before, on tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials. And although most animals use the leaves and tree branches for shelter and not directly as a food item, grazing on the epiphytic growth is very important. Some organisms like nematodes and chironomids, i.e. bloodworms, will dig into the leaf structures and feed upon the tissues themselves, as well as the fungi and bacteria found in and among them. These organisms in turn become part of the diet for many fishes. And the resulting detritus that they produce 
uh, and, by, and as well, you know, by decomposing and breaking down this matter, is considered by many aquatic ecologists to be an extremely significant food source for many fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where the detritus is considered an essential factor in the food webs of these habitats. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your fishes in the aquarium, like caracens, cyprinids, lorcarids, and others, you're going to see that in between feedings, they spend an awful lot of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank. We've talked about this a million times here, right? In a botanical-style aquarium, this is a very common occurrence, and I believe it's probably one of the most important benefits of this type of system. Something that we don't talk about enough, although we, do, we are starting to talk more about it. I'm of the opinion that the botanical-style aquarium, complete with its decomposing leaves and seed pods and all that stuff, can serve as a sort of buffet for many fishes, even those whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects and worms and stuff. Detritus and organisms within, you know, within that network of detritus can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes. And it's well known that in many aquatic habitats like inundated forests, etc., fishes will adjust their feeding strategies throughout the year to utilize the available food sources that are there at different times of the year, like the dry season, for example. And it's also known that many fishes, uh, uh, you know, have fry which feed actively on bacteria and fungi in these habitats. So I suggest once again that a botanical-style aquarium could be an excellent nursery of sorts for a lot of species. You'll often hear the term paraphyton mentioned in a similar context, and I think for our purposes, we can essentially consider it in the same manner as we do epiphytic matter. Paraphyton is essentially a catch-all term for a mixture of cyanobacteria, algae, various microbes, and, of course, detritus, which is found attached or in very close proximity to uh, various submerged surfaces. Again, fish will graze on this stuff constantly. And then, of course, there's my fave, the alochthonus input. And we've talked about this a ton of times here. We've talked about it with our friend Ty Streitman and Mike Tucanardi. Uh, Johnny and I talk about it a lot. Foods from the surrounding environment, things like flowers, fruits, terrestrial insects. These are extremely important foods for many fish species that live in these habitats. We mimic this process, actually, when we feed our fish prepared foods, right? As the stuff literally rains from the sky, just like alochthonus input does. Now, I think you know, that we have to consider more what we feed our fishes directly in this function. And that's equally as important as how it's fed. I'd like to see more experimentation with foods like ants, fruit flies, and other winged insects. Of course, I can hear the protest already. Not in my house, Felman. I get it. I mean, who wants a plague of winged insects getting loose in their suburban home because of some aquarium feeding experiment gone awry, right? I get it. That being said, I'd encourage some experimentation with ants and Already fairly common, you know, wingless fruit flies. I mean, can you imagine one day recommending an ant farm as an essential piece of equipment for food culturing? I mean, like, why not, right? Of course, I can hear every eight-year-old, at least in America, that grew up with a little ant farm, probably around the world too, you know, crying and going crazy. Just like sea monkeys, when I was shocked to learn at a very early age that they were brine shrimp, it was devastating. But uh, I got over it somehow, and I think the kids will too. And <laughs> Maybe they'll become fish geeks, that'll help. As many of you may recall, I've been amused by the concerns many hobbyists express when a new piece of driftwood is submerged in the aquarium and you get that fungi and algal growth and biofilm. And as we've talked about ad nauseum here, it looks pretty shitty to a lot of people, particularly when we're trying to get to this super cool aquascape tank. I get it. But that being said, I think when we let ourselves embrace this, I think that those of us who have embraced this have made that mental shift to understand, accept, and even appreciate the appearance of the stuff because what it does... When you start seeing your fishes graze casually on these materials that pop out of your driftwood and botanicals, you start realizing that, although it may not look like the aesthetics you know, we had in mind initially, it's a beautiful thing to our fishes. 
And this makes me think that an evolved preparation technique for driftwood in the future might be to age it in a large aquarium that also serves as an acclimation system for certain fishes. For example, let's say you're taking in fishes like headstanders, you know, like chelotus punctatus or whatever, or various loaches, catfishes, and other fishes. They'd be excellent, you know, additions to this driftwood prep tank. You get the benefit of having the gunky stuff accumulate on the wood outside of your main display, if it bothers you, of course, while helping acclimate some pretty cool new fishes to, you know, to captivity. Just throwing the idea out there. These things hit me at weird times during the day, and I'm like, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll do that. And of course, we've talked before about the botanical nursery concept. I, I think it's really important, and I'm doing this right now with some killifish. Essentially, it's creating an aquarium for fish fry that has large quantities of decomposing botanicals and leaves to foster the production of these materials, which, of course, serve as a supplemental food for your fish fry. I've done this a lot. I can attest to its viability. And your fishes will have a constant supply of natural foods to supplement whatever you're feeding them in the early phases of their life. So learn to make peace with your detritus and fungi and biofilm. I know this little discussion has probably not, you know, created any earth-shattering developments, and it's a amalgamation of things we've talked about several times over the years, but I think it bears repeating from time to time. And I think it's, you know, important that we've at least looked at a few of the terms you see bandied about here in in the hobby and elsewhere, uh, perhaps, you know, clarifying what their significance is to us. And I think it's really interesting uh, for us to understand what happens in nature and how we can work with it instead of against it. I know this is a constant theme. I talk about this, but taking advantage of the food sources that nature provides our fishes often when we don't you know are, are, are so important and when we don't rush off for the algae scraper and the siphon hose before considering that hey somebody's eating this stuff it's another mental shift i suppose but one of many that you've probably already made or maybe have yet to make but i certainly look forward to seeing many more examples of us utilizing what we've got to the advantage of our fishes so you out there i would hope that you would take advantage of what nature provides us. It's the freest, least expensive free food you can get. That sounds terrible, least expensive free food. It's the free food that you can get from nature. You just need to actually embrace it and use it. I should have stopped while I was ahead on that one. So keep making those mental shifts. Stay bold, stay excited, stay open-minded, stay interested, stay creative, stay with me, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.